0: Welcome to the IFE podcast series. Today's podcast is an IFE Transforming Innovation System Seminar and features Professor Mats Benner from Lund University in Sweden. Mats Benner is a professor in science policy studies and his research concerns how the political focus on impact affects universities and their faculty in terms of organisation, leadership, recruitments and reward systems and how academic strategies are shaped by but also themselves shape notions of impact. His lecture recorded on Thursday, the 21st of June is entitled, Engagement in Higher Education. How does it affect missions of education and research? We hope you enjoy this IFE Transforming Innovation Systems Seminar. Um, So thank you very much Paula for inviting me and thank you all for coming. Uh, It was a pleasure having you in in Lund, so almost a year ago, uh, giving a bleak but realistic depiction of how Australian universities manoeuvre between expectations of excellence and impact and engagement. Uh, I was struck when, um, sort of making the last mental preparations for speaking to you, by reading that. Um, motto of the Institute of, for uh, Future Environments. I think it's, it very nicely captures a contemporary understanding of what the university is. Uh, had we been at uh, the um, foundation of the Sandstone Universities in Australia, it, we probably would have had a slightly different conception of what the university is. Uh, a home for academic minds, or uh, upbringing, or whatever—some, some more, let's say, generic, pedagogical, or um, uh, let's say, mental understanding of what the university is. But these these kinds of, and it's—I'm um, not trying to be an imp- impolite visitor, <laughs> trashing this because I think this is very much captures how universities in a way pitch or sell themselves. So what I will be trying to do for 35 minutes ca- and counting. Uh, uh, is to make a little global overview of, let's say, the impact phenomenon and how it has sort of evolved and emerged in different contexts. And I will also do um, inviting you uh, for hoarse laughter or critical comments, some notions of what I've learned about Australian universities and how they struggle, struggle with this, uh, let's say, impact imperative and how it has evolved this is the uh, content of my speech. So I will sort of discuss how the university has evolved as sort of an an organizational entity or a conception, Uh, and I will sort of outline how that entails different sort of conceptions of utility and societal location of the university. Uh, And I will also, uh, since I dabble uh, sort of in the uh, area of political economy, I will also try to link how different conceptions of universities relate to or align with capitalism or various forms, varieties of capitalism in different parts of the world, and I will do it, uh, therefore, in a comparative manner. So if you look at the, let's say, historical evolution of what a university is, uh, very simplified. I'm, I'm a sociologist, so I treat history like crap, um, or like... a pink um, curtain that I sort of draw here and, f- here and there. So you have to live with that. Had I been uh, in the history, history of science department at UQ, I would have made a much more solemn presentation, very fine-grained, uh, granulated presentation. But now I'm in the company of like-minded, so I can be as sketchy as I like. Um, So we look at, I mean, if we can sort of compare two ways of conceiving the university as, let's say, the disembedded ideal, uh, which is that the university is not part or parcel of a societal setting, but it's an institution in its own right, and it serves certain kind of higher purposes, irrespective of whether it's in Hobart or in Lund uh, or in Calcutta. Uh, uh, And Three sort of ways, or three men, I fear, this was in the days when academia was a nice and cozy brotherhood. Um, uh, Three um, names that sort of um, embodies this way of looking at the university is first Cardinal Newman, uh, with the notion of education as something which builds men at the time, but human, uh, it's it's a it's a kind of an ideal of raising, cultivating the individual. I mean that's the role of the university. That's the role the role of the university is to educate, to create an educated class. Uh, and, and and this ideal, I think. I mean, you can see examples of that sort of traveling with, I mean, it was a sort of British phenomenon, but it has also traveled the colonial path. So you find it here at the UQ. It's, it's, it's a nice example. Or Sydney. Uh, and you find it in Calcutta. You find it in Canada and so forth. I mean, this conception of the university as something which cultivates the individual mind. Merton, Robert Merton, the famous sociologist, with his kudos norms. You have to excuse me. I'm a... I'm an old dog teacher, so I keep on pestering my students. What's the Kudos norm? So I will not pester you. You are here voluntarily. So you will not be pestered with. it's not an examination, but I, I suppose some of you are familiar with the Kudos norms as sort of embodying how one should go about in doing science. Kudos C. this was in '42, so it was before the Cold War. it meant communism. Later changed into communalism not to be confused with the Red Scare. I mean that uh, the, the, the things we produced in science should be collectively owned. Uh, it should not be sort of at the behest or at the control of private companies or uh, it should be universal. Uh, it should not be based on race or national identity. It should speak to the, it should be disinterested. It should not serve any specific purposes. Um, it should be Original, which was, I mean, had this been QT in 1940, originality would have probably been that. I mean, the the very sort of idea that the university should be a place for original thought. And finally, the S, skepticism. Uh, So this was kind of Merton's understanding of universities as, let's say, institutions without a location as embodying certain universal norms of understanding how you go about in doing science. So if Newman sort of discussed education, uh, Merton discussed uh, um, the scientific, Hello, hello. And and the final uh, name which might be even more familiar is Max Weber. Uh, And Weber in his famous uh, dichotomy between let's say politics as a vocation and science as a vocation so uh Weber very sort of clearly stated that the university's role was to be kind of the critical intellectual voice in society, but it should depart from intervening in the in the bloody uh, 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 in the literal sense of the word bloody or feuding uh, word of politics so if this was the sort of the classical conception of the university as something which is kind of disembedded or sort of not integrated in society, but rather a force onto itself. We've been enmeshed or showered in various ways of conceiving the university as a productive force lately. And some of these notions you might be familiar with. One is the famous or infamous, depending on how you see it, hello, uh, concept of a triple helix. Does it ring a bell? Um, you have sort of... Academia, you have industry, and you have government, and they're sort of like a spaghetti. Uh, they're enmeshed, and they're sort of intertwined. So universities do business, or politicians think in terms of economic growth, or industry like Google. I mean, they have a Google University and the like. So, I mean, it's, it's blended. Uh, and Another popular concept is mode one and mode two. Uh, mode one being the old stuffy. Uh, insular ivory tower way of doing science without caring uh, anything about societal processes, whereas the mode 2 is the modern, aligned, connected, etc., etc. Uh, uh, so, so these these are kind of more, let's say, embedded or even over embedded understandings of what the university is. The university is something which engages in and is shaped by the local flavour of its surroundings. Uh, and. Uh, I would not be at the Department of Management if I had not been critical of these, let's say, very simplified understandings of universities as organizations, as something which is kind of either one way or the other. So let's say the most updated understanding of what the university is points at it as a kind of hybrid hybridity. I mean, as an entity shaped by sort of not mode one or mode two, but rather both of them in parallel or engagement and disengagement in parallel and so forth. And I uh, sort of just um, kind of want to outline this by looking at the missions uh, and the governance forms of the contemporary university as kind of straddling between or the conflict between various ways of doing things. I mean, if you look at the logic of teaching, I've learned only yesterday that uh, foreign students is a major source of revenue for Australian universities, 5.3 billion Australian dollars. It's kind of 5.3 Australian dollars in Sweden. Uh, so it's a it's a huge difference <laughs> uh, it's a it's a massively huge difference uh, and it's a kind of business here where it's a, it's a kind of fringe activity in in, in in other countries so I mean that means that valorization uh, both in terms of let's say valorization for the institution I also learned yesterday that that uh, Melbourne University which is the has the largest share of of, of sort of international students, has 22,000 foreign students on campus which is the highest figure on earth, Uh, I can't uh, tell you about the Milky Way, but at least on this planet it's the highest number of of any university in the world. Um, But of course I mean it remains, I'm sure it captures everyone in this room that we are actually not only here to valorize students or valorize institutions, we are actually here for some higher purpose, learning, enlightening and so forth and if you look at the logic of research well I mean there's a kind of if you if you look at I chose I, I you the ERA as an example here I mean it's it, it, it's very much kind of focused on various aspects of impact measurable impact of what you do citations or external money raised or happy companies around you or whatever you want people to push the green button when they leave QUT smiling face, <laughs> great university, not the mm, sour face. Um, on the other hand, uh, science still, and it's gonna, if there's if one little thing that my home country adds to the conception of research, uh, is the 10th of December, you were, no you weren't here for the Nobels, uh, but you were almost around the Nobel time, so I mean, st- Still, I mean, it's a lingering focus on, let's say, innovation or breakthrough when it comes to research. I mean, citations or research incomes are, let's say, proxies of efficiency rather than, let's say, something which is truly original or innovative. So there is a strain between, let's say, the the um, the measures, the measurable aspects and the immeasurable aspects. I mean, if you look at if you if you have two minutes. Of your valuable time over, read the biographies of Nobel laureates. I mean, it's all about being misunderstood. It's all about being laughed at. It's all about being sort of the laughing stock of the faculty. Uh, I mean, take, look at the Russell Crowe movie of a brilliant mind, of being in, in all aspects, from the sort of kind of psychological to the social to the intellectual, being the odd person out. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's a remaining ideal of science to be not meeting the Australian Research Council's <laughs> measures of being a good scientist, but actually <laughs> proving them wrong uh, to, a be, to, to a sort of create an uh, entire new rules of the game. Uh, and if you look at the, 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 the ways of understanding of when it comes to, let's say, engagement or impact, you also find a kind of tension between, let's say, the things that can be measured the things that your engagement and impact pilot study will ask for in terms of measurable aspects, the number of companies you meet, the number of patents you've taken the last week. (laughs) I hope it's a high figure. (laughs) Uh, uh, On the other hand, I mean, let's say any kind of historical um, uh, or in-depth study of impact will tell you that lots of impact is done in like when it comes to scientific breakthroughs, in ways you never really quite understood. I mean, how impact travel. Uh, I mean, one of the largest, so let's say, impact uh, success stories of my country is the artificial kidney. You're familiar with the artificial kidney, uh, and it. Uh, I mean, that was based on pity. I'd say pity on behalf of a doctor who saw the dismal conditions (coughs) of kidney patients. I mean, they they sort of slowly died over 10, 15-year periods. And they had this horrible um, diets of um, cream and, uh, I mean, everything I mean, that was, and so, so, I mean, this was not at all intended to be a university success story to be covered on the front page. It was actually done by, let's say, a, a, a truly intrinsic individual motivation rather than something that was ordered by the tech transfer office. Uh, so, I mean, if you look at the, look at the breakthrough impact stories, very few of them, and my apologies to anyone from the TTO office uh, who's here now, but it seldom comes from, let's say, the, the expected or the, the programmatic corners, but it, it evolves. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's meaningless to, to, uh, to, in a way, try to encourage people to think in terms of societal impact. It, it only means that it's the travails so or the, the, uh, the, uh, the processes of impact are, are Less easy to to pre-plan. And finally, we have the kind of the logical governance. And Australia is again a very telling case where at least if you judge from the uh, old Monty Python sketch of the philosopher traveling to Australia, uh, seemingly a rather loose uh, uh, governance structure, at least in the 1970s. Uh, (coughs) But if you follow the, if you you read a study by Martinson and Considine, the Enterprise University, and of course you see all kinds of associate, deputy, principal, um, head, uh, etc. A very elaborate kind of managerial structure which strikes a well-organized Scandinavian as being extremely organized in comparison with our banana Repo- academic Banana Republic. Obviously, I mean, there is a strong element of transparency. I mean, that is management functions that in a way try to gaze, have a gaze of what's going on within the university. But of course, the university is still something which is largely trust-based. I mean, what happens in the classroom or what happens when when you're out on the field, or when you, when you write and, and disseminate your research, is still and will never be attainable or controllable by management. So it's, it's, it, there is again this tension between, let's say on the one hand, a probably unavoidable increase in managerial functions operating with, let's say, transparency as its keyword, but also trust as a lingering Way that acad- academia is sort of governed or run. I will now move on. I, that was just for me. Uh, you can have it if you <laughs> if you ask nicely. No, it was just a way of sort of conceiving different, uh, let's say, academic systems. But I don't have the time to go through that. I do, I. Okay, thank you, Paula. So I, then I will return to it, and we'll have a pedantic discussion of the different countries on. It. So uh, I now move on to a let's say uh, a, a very sort of rushed um, um, organisation of how different three different kind of university systems deal with notions of impact, uh, and I, for practical reasons, um, I lump together, but also for some intellectual reasons, lump together the UK and Australia because there are many similarities. Between the two, in how the, sort of universities are governed uh, and how impact is kind of profiled and understood. I mean, the, the striking thing about the UK is, of course, g- even though we've had 25 years of a unified university system, I mean, the, possibly the only. Uh, I'm not sure even if it's a positive impact, but it's the strongest impact of the Thatcher uh, government on the university system is that the the old dichotomy between uh, polytechnics and universities were discarded. So every university in the UK is well, every higher education institution in the UK is now a university. Um, And of course, according to traditional British standards, that doesn't mean that. Hierarchies and differences have been eradicated, but they have rather been, as I will soon uh, illustrate, been reinforced, or at least uh, they remain in place. Um, so it's a, kind of, it's, a, it's, it's a unified but, but kind of hierarchized or disjointed university system. If you take the train from London to Cambridge, uh, you're met with a sign on the train station saying, Welcome to Cambridge, home of Anglia Ruskin University which is a bit surprising. <laughs> you would perhaps expect home of Cambridge University. Uh, but of course, I mean, these, these two universities, in a way, they, they inhabit the same physical space, but they inhabit very, 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 very different, let's say, intellectual or social spaces. The, the, the Anglia Ruskin being devoted to, let's say, in a way, practical teaching and practical research dedicated to, let's say, the lower or the middle end of the labor market whereas of course Cambridge being uh, they have a laboratory which is called the MRC laboratory for molecular biology and it has at, its, at as its motto a Nobel laureate on each every floor <laughs> <laughs> so you feel a bit um, sort of <laughs> challenged when you enter a university like that so uh, so i mean but so so i mean that's the very idea of the university system is that it's i mean Brits like Divisions, obviously, there must be some penchant for, for, uh, for, for difference in in British society, and you, you see that also in their university system. When you look at engagement, or in the in the in, in UK vo- vocabulary or English vocabulary, impact, uh, it's a it's has to, to a higher extent or a larger degree than than in Australia. It's part of how money is distributed to universities, so it's. It's 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 soon to be 25% of floor funding to universities determined on the basis of universities' contribution to impact in society. Um, but not only that, every application, even the most esoteric sociological study of the individual in post, post-modern society needs to identify user groups needs to identify potential valorization, um, which means that a, a good friend of mine who is a Marxist political economy of the reddest um, designation, uh, he, when he did a study of the collapse of uh, financial economy and the rise of a post-capitalism, he had to find uh, people in the city of London uh, as potential recipients and users of that research so you have all kinds of uh, more or less absurd search it's called pathways to impact you need to indicate when you apply for money from the research councils maybe this is all familiar to you but anyway i mean you need to indicate the pathways to impact of what you do and the same goes for the for the universities i mean they need to they submit their case Descriptions of of impact, uh, which are then being, in the typical British grammar school tradition, being graded. Oh, that's a two-one. Oh, no, I'm not that amused with that impact story. This is a four. This is lovely. So it's it's loads and loads of let's say impact assessments in the British system. And if you look at the distribution of impact, you find, unsurprisingly, a pattern where the large universities are. Uh, I mean the The Russell Group universities, the Cambridge, the University College London and the like, uh, they are excessively focused on impact in the biomedical area. Uh, They are basically medical schools with uh, kind of social scientific and natural science appendixes. Um, uh, So they are excessively focused on on biomedicine. When you look at the second tier universities like Lancaster or the like, uh, you find Uh, Let's say more mixed picture, some engineering, um, some in the social sciences, um, and the environmental studies. And finally, let's kind of the third tier universities, the Anglia Ruskins. You find engagements in sports or in um, um, care or or in, let's say, uh, more more low key areas more local more so let's say local engagement, so impact is very kind of it 's more or less an, an effect of what kind of institution you are, the kind of impact you have education now is kind of seen as a as a good which can be sort of sold uh, on let 's say on the market level, both for international students i mean the, London is now a very international it 's not like Melbourne or even brisbane but it's it 's a kind of growing uh, international kind of commodity, uh, but it's also something which is in a way sold and traded to British students on the basis and and sort of there's continuous discussions of whether the cap, the 9,000 pound cap, should be raised in order to in a way increase students' market awareness or planning according to market outcomes. So if if you look at, let's say, the conceptions of uh, let's say the the, um, Value of higher education is very much sort of geared towards the individual making a calculus of the of the rate of return on education. Um, and finally, uh, if you look at lo- let's say the governance issue, um, um, it's it's. Britain has moved in a similar direction to, and I think actually while it's it kind of a more a parallel development to Australia, but a managerial revolution, I mean with invisible deans or, uh, uh, I mean the, the a kind of elaborated uh, managerial structures and uh, um, a kind of a focus on the university as something which is led and governed according to specific kind of metrics or criteria of success. So, kind of enterprisal university, um, um, and and this uh, is in a way also related to a, let's say both continuity, uh, continuity and change in how British universities function. I mean, it's, it's a very radical, let's say, switch here and around the, the early 90s. The number of students. I mean, the the British universities are roughly the same in number, but uh, student admission has quadrupled uh, in, in just 15 or 20 years in time, uh, but this has happened, uh, and this is a, a sort of striking difference to the to, to Australia, this has happened at the same time that the, let's say the research-oriented the Cambridge's or the London's and the other sort of top universities have maintained their share of funding, research funding. Um, so it's um, Uh, Universities that sort of function as kind of market entities, but in different ways. I mean, newer universities primarily catering to paying students, uh, to the, let's say, market for students, and uh, the the old universities sort of controlling uh, and maximizing research revenue. And and they are of course now in a state of shock, uh, given that uh, somewhere between a, a quarter and a fifth of research income for these universities come from the European Union Um, so the question is of course the the consequences and impact of brexit my five cents on Australian universities it is uh, at least perusing it from the outside. It's a, it's a, it's a relatively flat university system that the, the divisions that you find between, let's say, the Anglia Ruskin and the Cambridge in the British system are far less. I mean, uh, the difference between QUT and UQ aren't that sort of significant when it comes to research activity or research impact. So it's, it's a system which is, even with the, even including, I mean, I, I did some simple bibliometrics for your Prestige. I mean, the university that, that was set up as a prestigious research university, the Australian National University, and it doesn't really stand out significantly from the rest. So it's 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 a it's a relatively, in a way, flat or or even university system when it comes to research activity and research impact. Um, and by that, I'm not saying that the ERA is a mo- wonderful success. You should all be happy. Uh, but seemingly, I mean, there, is, there are some measures that have been done when it comes to allocating funding and, and sort of instigating various governance measures that make your universities more or less equally good when it comes to research. They are equally large. I mean, this, as far as I understand, dates back to the Dawkins revolution in the early 90s, I mean, that you have this, these merged universities with 70,000 students, unheard of, uh, with, with few exceptions outside Australia, uh, in one campus even. Uh, uh, so, I mean, you have big universities. Uh, and, and, of course, education being, educational funding being an important source of revenue for your universities. And you do have a a kind of stratification in the sense that the group of eight universities are sort of more, um, sort of less catering to the massive numbers of students and more to the to the research income, but still I mean not a significant difference Uh, uh, and surprising research activity throughout the system. Um, You have obviously uh, engagement which seems to be the polar here, uh, being something which is encouraged, but it's also being monitored, uh, being assessed, but it's not being, um, like in the British system, rewarded as such. So there is a strong belief in, in kind of um, assessments and enforcement as a kind of cultural steering of activities. Um, and what you do have... Uh, which is, of course, uh, it's new to me, but not to you. Uh, I mean, is that you have a plethora of instruments to encourage and and sort of develop uh, collaboration. I mean, you have the partnership programs of the research councils and the like. And my reading, and I'm ready to... uh, be met by rotten tomatoes when I say this, but my reading is that this has been more captured by, let's say, entrepreneurial academics rather than being sort of transforming the deeper relations between Australian universities and Australian societies. So this has been a major source of maximizing or accumulating income for certain research areas or certain research centers or certain individuals rather than, in a way, creating... And I will soon sort of... Um, Um, contrast that with a a different university system. Um, And of course what you do, what also strikes out from an, from a, let's say, international perspective is that you have a a troubled relation between the political system and the universities. And I I found this wonderful quote of Malcolm Turnbull in controversy with the uh, Vice-Chancellor of Melbourne saying that it was defeatist and dispiriting uh, to uh, not see the, um, let's say the internationally rather low levels of engagement between universities and industry in Australia as something which is of not attainable to let's say university academics or leaders, but something which is more, let's say inherent in Australia in the fabric of Australian society, which was met in, in full confrontation uh, uh, as something which is defeatist rather than be optimistic, Turnbull told. Blyn Davis, you should be optimistic, you should be the new, you, are, you should follow the new zeitgeist of Australia, uh, which is um, in a way like Churchill said of, of Clement Attlee, I mean that, uh, well, instead of having a, an open mind and a closed mouth, he has the opposite. So, <laughs> uh, so it's good to have an open mouth in politics obviously, but it's sometimes good also to read the, let's say, the, um, the general, let's say, conditions of what the university can do or what it actually does. So, uh, again, I mean, you can see lots of elements here of sort of pointing at engagement and collaboration as something which is equally beneficial to universities and to society, but also, in a way, some misalignments between understanding of how relations between the two have evolved uh, and also i mean it, it 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 may fall a bit on both sides i mean the the low levels of engagement of industry in australian universities is not necessarily a reflection of the ivory tower mentality of universities but rather that let's say the political economy of australia which is predominantly either it's i mean entrepreneur-based small firms which often have sort of a rather long distance to academic uh, in terms of engagement, or you have these big insulated firms who have very sort of specific demands and expectations on universities, whereas if we turn to the other model, it's the kind of the Rhinish model, the continental, northern continental European model, where the, let's say, articulation between universities and societies is much more sort of embedded and ingrained from the very beginning of the university. And universities built around the notion of being not uh, sort of outside the, outside society, but rather integrated within society. In order not to um, highlight and profile my own childish university founded only in 1666, but rather the oldest uh, uh, university in the Nordics, namely Uppsala University, north of Stockholm. And Uppsala University uh, was founded, not because of some higher sort of motive, but it was founded because the Swedish king at the time was fr- afraid that we, relied on, that we had to rely on a Danish university, because there was a university in Copenhagen being founded at the same time, for clergymen. So this university was actually founded for the supply of church leaders. So it was not founded on the notion of, let's say, this being um, devoted to some higher goal, but rather something which was devoted to actually securing elite reproduction of, at that time, important organizational assets, assets of Swedish society. It is a university uh, which is very closely integrated with healthcare. I mean, it, it, it used to run way before notions of university hospitals were established in, 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 in the United States and elsewhere. It actually ran its own university hospital all the way until it was nationalized in, in the early 20th century. Uh, it is a university where two uh, Nobel laureates in chemistry founded in the 40s. In the 1940s, they founded companies, um, spin-offs of academic research, uh, Nobel uh, awarded research, uh, which formed, let's say, an, an academic-industrial uh, ecosystem in the 1940s and 1950s. It is a university which supplied uh, the local municipality with political leaders all the way from the 19th century until, let's say, the modernization of, of, of local administration in Sweden in the 1960s. So it was usually the role of the university vice, uh, vice chancellor to be also the president of the, of the city council. Uh, it was the university which provided the national sort of political system with the political philosophy, a utilitarian political philosophy saying that ideologies and all that crap is something for uh, Brits and uh, Australians and other high-minded people. I mean, we are a practical nation. We solve. We are an engineering nation. We solve problems as they come. Uh, and that was a bona fide product, uh, product of the Department of Philosophy at Uppsala as a kind of a, a, a higher motive for doing politics. Uh, And it was also, for a long period of time, the supplier of local culture. It had its own primary and secondary, uh, and even high school. Uh, It it ran a theater for the community. And all of this was way before Henry Etzkowitz discovered the Triple Helix, or uh, before you had TTO offices. This was done in, in... in total neglect from the university leadership I mean this was a rotating role to be department head or dean or or vice chancellor I mean you met with the king and you had tea with the prime minister uh, and you held a speech or two Uh, but it was very unproactive academic leadership but this was sort of kind of in the in the living practice of the university and this is I'm, I'm not trying to sell Uppsala to you I'm just uh, and uh, uh, if, if you want me to say something negative I mean this was, Uppsala was also home to the Institute for race Hygiene in Sweden all the way till the 40s so I mean they took the societal mission very seriously, even to the brink of of sort of a, 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 a political collapse so but my my point is that in 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 the Rhinish systems I mean the notion of impact is far less something which is kind of imposed on. It's, it's, it grew out of a society, a kind of more engineering-based society where a, a very central role for academia uh, is to, in a way, articulate with society, but also the other way around. I mean, to have a, let's say, a rational society in which sort of academia is not seen as, as, as a cost, but rather something as a kind of part of a societal infrastructure to draw on. My third example is the kind of evolving, I mean, your neighborhood, I mean, your hoods. um, uh, I mean, you've lived with and you've broken with, to some extent, the the British tradition of doing universities. But of course, you are in an evolving, let's say, new species of universities in in the Asian context. Two are very different kinds of fruits uh, is the chinese and the singaporean but they have something in similar in, in common i mean that they are university systems which in a way try to bridge or combine elements of the let's say anglo-saxon model on the one hand and on the Rhinish model on the other from the anglo-saxon model they take a very serious uh, almost to the degree of sort of pedantic understanding of how you monitor academic activity. Um, Maybe someone saw, there was a piece in Nature a year ago or so, saying that if you had a paper, the the highest uh, reward you got in a Chinese university for a paper in Nature was 165,000 US dollars in extra salary. Uh, I mean, so it's, it's and, and Singapore is the same, I mean, Paula, we, we're not happy. We, we must have four papers in, uh, in that and that category of journals. So I'm mean, a very unimaginative, very strict sort of controlling, even at the, at the very detailed level of how academics actually, in a way, produce. On the one hand, on the other hand, there's also this notion, this idea that the university is not something that is a kind of the milk cow of local industry or, 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 or a supplier of consultancy services, but rather something which is a force in societal modernization. One of the biggest research programs in Singapore today is devoted to water, uh, rainwater purification. And why on earth are they doing that? Well, every time there's a conflict with Malaysia, What do the Malaysians do? They cut off water supply uh, because that's the only weapon they have. Well, I learned also when we were there that they produce Coca-Cola. So maybe they cut off the Coca-Cola supply also. Uh, But, I mean, uh, they are in a kind of, they have this self-understanding of being a peaceful, I mean, global... uh, We're we're not a country, we're hospitality, they told me when I was there making interviews. So they have this notion that this is a global space which seamlessly integrates various forces, social, cultural, economic. Uh, But that also means that they put a lot of effort into actually maintaining that sort of independence. And as it happens, rainwater purification is also a challenging scientific issue which makes for good publications in science and nature and possibly the odd Nobel Prize later on. So, what these systems try to, in a way, meet and combine is, let's say, things that make for impact and value and visibility globally in scientific terms, but also something which is useful. And if you look at the <clears throat> sorry the pathetic investments that have do, been done in graphene research in the European Union or even the United States and compare it with Cha- what China does, you see find a similar pattern. I mean, you have very directed ways of allocating money into areas which are. I mean it's not a, some official at the research council pestering the old academic. i mean there are billions of US, uh, Australian dollars being put into these areas, so massive investments in areas and activities that are deemed to be part of let's say a, an evolving kind of modernization of of their societies uh, so i mean that's a that's a sort of a different flavor of looking at the impact as something which is not at the kind of daily reporting level, uh, as, as in the, and the Anglo-Saxon model, but not, I mean, they're in a hurry, there are countries in a hurry, so they can't wait to, for the Rhinish model to evolve over the next coming hundred years, so it's kind of forced modernization. Um, uh, I mean, the, the, the um, sort of the, the drawbacks of that is of course that they're struggling with plagiarism. Uh, I mean, I've seen so many Empty uh, incubators in China. I mean, it says incubator. It says that oh, vibrant economic growth on the basis of academic research. Hallelujah, uh, and you find very little activity in it. So, I mean, th- this, I mean, they are of course have their own sort of struggles and tensions. So, I mean, uh, my my concluding five cents uh, is that I mean, um, engagement is the song we're all singing. Uh, you find precious few university systems that don't. Emphasize valorization or value, uh, but you also find a kind of enmeshed. I mean, the, these let's say, uh, I mean, you have to struggle with different ideals, both as a university uh, and as an individual academic, uh, and also. Uh, but the good thing, I mean, as Karl Deutsch observed about politicians, is that the good thing about having power is that you can be wrong without admitting it. Uh, So politicians don't have to admit that they are uh, operating in a hybrid mode. Because they're always right. They're like five-year-olds. I mean, I'm always right. So it's wonderful. So it's a good way to stay five years for your entire life, to be, become a politician. So, but hybridization is, is, is the kind of the rule of the game also. So engagement is enmeshed in excellence. Uh, engagement needs to be squared with expectations of publications, being visible, being uh, committed to uh, uh, student uh, satisfaction and what have you. Uh, and the forms and formats vary that's my that's my uh, kind of observation here that that uh, and uh, even though i mean the, the, the templates are the same and the expectations the same the how they play out in reality uh, varies uh, and my interpretation of, of of the let's say the the surge of engagement is that it's First I mean it's a kind of the the last example or possibly the latest example of the linear model. I mean the notion that science propels uh, development which propels growth. So this is I mean when when it's no longer viable to I mean I I want in my next life I will continue doing research on industrial policy because it's something that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, It it needs to find a new label or target. So industrial policy emotives are very I mean clearly behind let's say the rise of notions of engagement this is a way of subsidizing industry or developing industry but in in different uh, in a different vocabulary it's also something which is very good for those who have a penchant for Managerial techniques who like new public management, there are a few, uh, because it gives them another way, another arena to operate in, another arena to infuse indicators and steering and reporting and what have you, and we all like that, don't we? Uh, but it's also something which is, if we can say it's, it's also something which correctly managed could be a rejuvenation, I think, of a, let's well, at least a, a Rhinish, but I think also more general ideal of a university as something which is actually (laughs) moving beyond this sterile conception of journals and editorial boards and how do I manage in this this bland airport-like world of top journals into a much more meaningful, uh, let's say, civic world where we actually do useful things, where we we actually do meaningful research, we do meaningful engagement with students, we do meaningful engagements with society beyond academia. So it's a kind of possibly something which can build a new university species, perhaps a civic university, instead of this airport lounge, excellent university, which is slowly killing us. Thank you for your attention. You've been listening to a podcast from the IFE. To stay up to date with our podcasts, please subscribe to our channel. You can also visit us on the web at qut.edu.au forward slash IFE. And we're also on Twitter at IFE underscore QUT and also on Instagram at IFE.QUT. We really hope you enjoyed this IFE podcast.